Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, and welcome back to The Shift. It's Dez here. Katie's not with me today. Katie's not on this episode today only because I recorded this episode when I was in Las Vegas. And... We've done a lot of stuff about non-monogamy and polyamorous relationships. We haven't talked about infidelity, being cheated on, believing in being faithful, and the hurt when that trust is broken. And this uh, guest is a listener of the podcast, but actually only became a listener of the podcast because she's a friend of mine, a recent friend. Um, we met in Chicago, not a love interest, by the way, just somebody that was at a show in Chicago. And we sort of hung out a bit that weekend. And she's a teacher, and she's very articulate. But we were having breakfast in, in Las Vegas, and I had not intended to record an episode with her, but she was telling me, like, very honestly about what happened with herself and her husband and uh, and how it affected their, their, their family. They have two children. And... I just asked if she would be interested in telling her story for the podcast, and she was very willing to do that. So this is her story. It's very honest. It's, uh, you know, I was gonna I was gonna edit right into the, you know, I guess the the period of time where, uh, in, the infidelity began. But I'd rather you get a flavor of of their relationship and who she is. Uh, I don't use her name because I I feel like. Because she's a teacher and she's not in the public eye and doesn't have a desire to be in the public eye, then really we don't gain anything from anybody having the opportunity to fucking troll her or do the horrible things that people do online. So I think there's a freedom in her anonymity. Um, uh, so for anyone who's ever been hurt or anyone who is curious about the hurt that maybe they caused somebody else, I highly recommend you stay with this episode. Um, and I'll talk to you after the app. How um, did you meet? You just randomly met? He met, so I, uh, I'm i a teacher and I was doing curriculum design for my school. I'm a French teacher, so I was right. in France. And uh, he, th at the time, there was a bookstore called Virgin Cafe that is no longer in business anymore, but it had a cafe attached to the bookstore and they had CDs back when they sold CDs. Uh, and so I was just going in there trying to find authentic materials that I could teach vocabulary, but that wouldn't be terribly difficult for my students to follow. 
and would have cultural significance. So I would go in there every day and grab a bunch of stuff. And then I'd sit down at the cafe and he was the manager of the cafe. Wow. That's romantic. I mean, yeah, that's just scratching the surface. And it was very romantic. But at that time, too, even though we met and we had these great conversations and we're definitely kindred spirits, I I remember telling him, like, look, I I want you to be part of my life forever. So I think we should just stay friends. <laughs> so you were still you're still a little cautious because of your previous scenario. I mean, yeah. So I felt I, I felt already at that time because that time I was almost 30 and I already kind of had lost hope and the whole idea of true love and that that could go the distance and, you know, those that euphoric feeling in the beginning, how it fades. Yes. And I was very well aware of that already at that time. So I thought this is someone who I want to have as part of my life forever. And so why ruin it with love? I, well, yeah, <laughs> well, we're not going to have sex. Yeah. So oh, so you weren't you weren't sleeping with him? No. Mm-mm. Were you even like fooling around or was it literally just plutonic uh, flirtatious? I mean, there was definitely some sparks. Uh, yeah, there was, I guess, a little fooling around. But um, but no, we we didn't have sex. And then I had I was just totally resolute, like we're going to stay friends. And back then we did email. We didn't have social media. And uh, we emailed each other every day for five or six months. Right. And then when I went back the following summer is when I realized I, I'm I like head over heels for this guy. Like he And actually at that time, too, he had just gone. He had been in a 10 year relationship that had just ended like the year or two before that. So when I was going through just processing my divorce, I mean, he was very much a part of that conversation and it felt really good because going through a divorce, like you feel like such a failure and it's such a dark time in your life. And I think particularly in Christian circles, you feel like you just don't belong anymore. Right. And so there's that. And a lot of that could have been self-imposed. I don't know that my community was really imposing that on me. Um, but I just felt out of place. So it felt really safe to be able to talk to somebody who was so far away Sure. And he didn't know any of my community, Completely different but culture. that I felt so safe talking to. So and kind of started there and our conversations were very intimate. And then we started, um, then we basically had a fling the following that, summer. That summer. Yeah. That following summer I went back. I was like, yeah, there's just like, forget it. So you uh, surrendered to his French charms. I, yeah, I guess <laughs> you could say that. Although I will say he's definitely not typical French. Like he's not real flirty and like. Oh my gosh. Like you go to France and it's, I mean, worse than it is here in Las Vegas when I say here and it's bad here. Right. But he, he was just not like that. He was not like a smarmy, like trying to pick up everything that walked kind of dude at all. So the summer fling. So yeah, we fell in love. Uh, it was amazing. And then we decided that we would get married so that we could keep dating. (laughs) Because oh, of so the it was like a visa issue, thing. right? Oh, I so, mean, so we were s- genuinely in love, and we wanted to stay together. But, but you wouldn't have been married so quick. Only no, absolutely not. Absolutely practicality not. pushed it. Yeah. So, uh, so he came. We got married the following October. He left everything. He was getting ready to uh, accept a, a job promotion and move to Paris, and was just like, I, 
I don't want to go anymore. So he, he left everything and he came here, which that in and of itself is so romantic. Yes. He came to Colorado where I was living at the time. And then after several months or so, my sister, Elisa, who was living here already. Living in Vegas. Living, yeah, in Las Vegas. Uh, was talking to him about how much servers make out here and just they can really make bank and they need so many teachers out here that we should both come out here. And we were thinking about starting our family. We thought, well, I guess it would be nice to have family around when we're starting our own family. So let's try it. And the plan was that we were going to come to Las Vegas, be here for five or six years. By the time our kids were school age, you know, we'd have a bunch of money and we would go on to the next adventure, wherever that was going to be. But in my mind, I kind of thought that that was what was going to happen. But he came here. He was working as a server. I was working as a teacher. It was very taxing on our relationship. I mean, Is he working in the evening? Yeah. So he started working. He was working nights. We were grateful because we didn't have to put our children in childcare, but we didn't see each other. Yes. And for me... So, but, but, so, but you've already had kids and everything. I mean, yeah, this is after kids. Yeah. I mean, but we went from having sex probably, I mean, every day for sure, but sometimes multiple times in a day to, you know, having this crazy schedule and kids and both being exhausted and, you know, so your sex life definitely takes a hit at that point. Sure. And Which I think most people would identify. Yeah. With. And in my mind, it, it was a stage that we were going to go through. And I mean, when you're pregnant and nursing and exhausted and a little overweight, like you just don't feel sexy. Like you're not really in the mood to have sex. And so I, I will definitely say that I definitely wasn't as sexual. My libido definitely took a hit during that time. Which is understandable. It is understandable. However, what I think is also understandable is that he had needs that were not getting met at that time also. Right. Well, but just, just for now in terms of your, where your relationship was at. So this is the, the classic post-kids, yes. sex life drops, life totally. gets busy. Our life was very busy. Relationship. It's like we'd high-five each other and then the other one would leave for work and it, that'd be it. And it was kids and work and but he was happy not getting enough sleep. I mean, at first, yes, we were very happy. And, uh, and then, of course, we were over the moon with the birth of our son. And he, he, he was just so present. He's such, I mean, to this day, he's an amazing dad. He, he's been always very present with the kids, uh, very hands-on. I was nursing, and so I was the one who was getting up in the middle of the night to feed our son. And so I was maybe getting a little less sleep than he was, but he was very good about sharing household chores. He would, he did all the cooking. I mean, I thought I could cook until I married him. I mean, the man didn't ever even let me in the kitchen. Mm. I mean, it, I mean, it was amazing. I was very spoiled. So, yeah. So as far as you were concerned, you, 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 I thought he was happy and I was over the moon, like so happy. I was really happy. So then you, you had a second child. I had a, we had a second child and there, our kids were very close together in age. They're only 14 months apart. 
Nearly Irish twins, as they say. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so they, that's a lot. Two, it was a two lot. pregnancies. Yeah, so I was I was basically nursing or pregnant for three years straight. Yeah. And it, so, I mean, it was a hard time. In my mind, though, it was just the stage. And it was a beautiful stage. You're exhausted. And it is, I mean, I always tell new parents, it is the absolute best and hardest part of life. Because it is truly both. It is 100% the hardest thing you go through. And it's also like the most beautiful, like you can't imagine, I'm sure you've heard this, how much you can love another human being mm. until you're holding your own child. I mean, it's just, it's just not comparable to anything else. And, uh, but I mean, there's ebbs and flows in life. And in my mind, I felt like I had a perspective on that, that it was gonna, we'd pass through it. And sure. I wanted to enjoy that. And um, so... After I'd finished nursing our second child, I was getting my body back. I was starting to feel sexy again and, and going towards him more. Right. And before I will, will say, I probably did not, I might not have initiated sex for three years. Right. I mean, I never said no, but I was not yeah. the one initiating it for sure. And, and that was unusual. That's unusual for me as a person like I'm but have you I, talked to other have you, have you talked to other new moms did they is that similar oh yes I mean yeah. I feel like even my even then I remember uh my girlfriends at the time where we had a date night planned and I'd be like I think I'm gonna get sexy time <laughs> that's what I would call it sexy time to my girlfriends and they'd be like oh my god you're so crazy you know, like, how can you be thinking about sex? But I still, I still wanted to feel desired. And, and I still feel like we, you, we all have that. Yeah. No, no. But I just meant like, I assume that most women go through that phase where they're just, I can't speak for other women. I also would assume that that's yeah. normal. So yeah, I, I don't think that I was being unreasonable. Mm. So at the end like of that, that phase, when you start coming towards coming him again. Coming towards him again. And he just wasn't into it. And and I could still tell that he was withdrawn. And he had been withdrawn. I would say it had been, I don't know, a, a year or so at that point. And our youngest was probably about a year and a half. And so... I was just trying to understand it. And he, I remember he told me it was 2013. It was the summer of 2013. He was like, I, I just am not in love with you anymore. He wow. said, he said it in French. Je ne suis plus épanoui is the word. Épanoui is like the spark's gone. So it's basically the French equivalent of saying, I'm not in love with you anymore. And, uh, and it just completely knocked the wind out of me. Like, I couldn't believe it. You weren't expecting it. Yeah, I, I just was like, this isn't a possibility. Like, this, this is, I, I mean, I just couldn't fathom it. Like, we were so in love. And we had everything. We had a house. We, we had jobs. He had just started his own business. Um, I mean, it was like we were living the American dream. And... I just, I couldn't believe. So immediately I asked him, is there someone else? Oh, really? You because for me, that's like the only explanation. 
that was the only explanation. And he lied and, and said that there wasn't. And because I trusted him so implicitly, I, I believed it. I, I chose to believe him, even though he was lying to me. And so I went on like that and just. But when he when he said the spark is gone, was he saying that we need to figure out a future apart or he was just saying? No, no, I don't think he ever really wanted to let go of the marriage. And as time went on, it did come out that actually like he did say at one point that he wanted both. Like once I, I did know, like it had come out, I knew. Who oh, yeah. Was. No, but don't knew, jump ahead. There. Oh, okay, so sorry. let's no, no, okay. I just because so. so <laughs> there was a period of time where he let you know that he wasn't happy in the relationship, but you yes. did not know. I did not know. And I was thinking, I mean, he left everything, his community, his family. I mean, you know, I mean, European culture is just like, if that's what you've grown up with, I mean, to come here, it's just, it's not the same. And so in your mind, what you were thinking that perhaps he just has was a little it, down because of the huge change in his life i mean he exchanged an amazing life for coming and being american in las vegas of all places and having the family life and all this responsibility and so for me it was normal that there would be a certain degree of withdrawal and maybe depression a little bit of just sorting through that i mean for me that's life that's right. that's part of life but i didn't it really never occurred to me that we had a problem in our couple and so and that was super naive of me like i completely took him for granted like that he that it was possible for him not to be in love with me like i, I really did not consider that as a possibility right so i mean that was really naive and maybe selfish on my part well, I, I mean, there's no need to make a judgment. I mean, it just, it took you by surprise. I it you definitely feeling... took me by surprise. Okay. You know, and, I, and I'm just saying that part of that is my own fault, that I was so surprised by that. I mean, there... Well, it doesn't, there's, there's no fault. And, and, sure. And you, you can't but read yeah. people's minds. I was shocked. I yeah. was shocked. Yeah. And so time went on, time went on. But how again. did you think before that you found out about the affair? How did you think that you guys were going to move forward. He's now told you that the spark is gone. What was the, in that interim period well, bef- before you knew what was I mean, for me, that's like, spark? what's this? Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, I felt like it was reasonable. I mean, I already told you, I, I didn't, like once that euphoria of the beginning, it fades, then you kind of exchange it for something else. And I didn't really know what that something else was yet. But, but did I, you guys have a discussion? Like, well, let's just continue with the knowledge that it's not the same as it was. Or like, what was the what was the the thing that you guys communicated to each other after him saying that? So I was I wanted to go on more days. Well, let's go out. Let's do us. Let's. Oh, so you did try? Yes, to- absolutely. Like, let's let's do more things with us. And then I was like all over him. And then all of a sudden, I was like needy for the oh, first yeah, time you're the, ever. You're leaning in, right? Because he's yes. pulling back. You're leaning in. Absolutely. So, and that was and a foreign experience for me too, because I've always been so independent and like not at all needy in relationships. And for the first time here, I am like, like desperate, like for him to fix it, like to, I wanted to fix it. And 
time went on, time went on. And I was talking with a girlfriend of mine. So we call her our, the, she's the fourth sister. sister that, but she's not actually blood related to us. She's French. And uh, she lives here in Las Vegas too. And she was like, Betsy, he's seeing somebody else. Like, was she there's no way. She's like, he's lying she to you. Knew? No. She was like, he's lying. So then I started thinking, well, who could it be? Like, I was like, who could he? I mean, he's so busy all the time. She's like, it could be anyone. And we started like brainstorming, like, who could it be? Who could it be? And so time went on. And so he told me, I guess, that he wasn't in love anymore. It was maybe May of 2013. And then it was on our anniversary in November that he finally told me who it was. Oh, so he came out and said, "I'm okay, I'm having an affair. Uh... Yeah, I mean, through many conversations, more or less. I mean, he didn't come. I was pressing him and pressing oh, him and pressing, pressing him. Yes. And so finally, I just got him to admit. And then he said that he maybe wanted to explore seeing someone else, that he was having feelings for someone else. And I'm like, okay, who is it? And then he's like, who is the only other woman I spend any time with? And I kind of racked my brain for a minute and I, I said the name of his business partner and like, like so confused, like saying that name out loud with confusion, a lot of confusion because I never, well, first of all, I never in a bazillion years would have thought that he would cheat on me. I felt like if any, anybody was going to cheat and step out on that relationship, it definitely would have been me. And that wasn't the case. Okay. So that's the first thing. Secondly, so was that like a, an ego hit or just a, a surprise or what do you mean? An ego hit for me? Yeah. Like what? No. So I just like, for me, this woman is like almost asexual. Like she, I know, but yeah, but uh, yeah. But I mean like, what, what was it all about the woman that he was telling you about? Well, what about the fact that now you know that he's cheating on you? Well now, no, no, no. I didn't actually know because I was so in my brain believing what he was saying like choosing to believe what he's saying so he's still telling me that he's just interested in her all right so oh okay and i'm choosing to believe this even though it's all lies so yeah i'm still his believing first installment, what he's saying his, his first installment is i'm not cheating on you now the new installment is I'm i think interested. i have feelings yes i think i have feelings for this woman this other woman and i'm like okay all right and i'm digesting that and just and I'm sure I had like a look of disgust on my face. Like this woman is just not attractive at all. Like I was never, ever even remotely threatened by this woman. Yes. And so I was very confused, but trying to be understanding. And then time went out. So then of course I told my girlfriend M about it. Um, and she's like, that's who it is. He's cheating on you with her. That's who it is. And so then gradually I started pressing him, pressing him. And then finally he tells me that yes. they kissed. Oh, he's still only saying yes. That? And each time Emma's like, are you kidding me right now? Like just how naive I was and desperate to believe what he was telling me. But no, it was just, it had been going on. It, yeah. it had been already going on. And so I guess I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because. Well, yeah, just I want to know when you when was 
when was it that you now know this guy has been having an affair and lying so to me? So that, I mean, gosh, when I, I mean, admitted date, it to uh, myself, yes. it was probably a year. It, had pro- it probably was a year. I would say... Since the spark, quote unquote, yeah, was gone. Since he told me he wasn't in love with me. Did I would he ever say come clean and say, I've, I've been having an affair that entire time? Did he ever actually come clean? I mean, not really. He just didn't deny it years later after I had put all the pieces together. When I would say things, he wasn't denying it. And he, he wasn't trying to deny it. Because I, I already knew, I put the story, when I accepted that he was lying to me and figured out that I needed to put the story together on my own, I did that and just did the timeline in my head of the breakdown of everything, like when things started happening yes. and just re- going back and remembering situations. But what was the, what was the, the feelings when, when it was, you could no longer like, I, I guess you're, you're suggesting you have some sort of self-imposed naivety or something when you finally let that drop. Okay. What was the feeling? I mean, I ran the gamut. I mean, I was angry, like, oh, yeah, plates angry. I mean, there was one night that I really lost my shit. And it was just because he was lying to me more. I knew he was lying to me more. And then he's like, I'm not going to talk to you about this anymore. He goes up to our room and he closes the door. And that's when I was like, oh, no, like like you are the crazy one. This is not going to happen. And I went in there and then I definitely went crazy on him. I was like throwing books and like crazy, like throwing hard objects at him, like whatever was around at him. I yanked the covers off the bed because he had gotten in bed. I yanked the entire quilt off the bed and I just started throwing things at him, like hard objects. I apologized for it the next day. But yeah, it was that was the one time that I like really lost. It. I couldn't take it anymore. I snapped. Yeah. And... And well, this I is a couple years into it at that but point, too. I guess it's too. frustrating. I can understand that well, there's so many things going on. But the fact that you had this period where you, you start coming at him and you you really like you almost open yourself up to that, that deeper sense of, of needing him. Yeah. And the whole time he's stringing you along with these lies. I mean, that yeah. is frustrating. Yes. OK, another layer of this is. Actually, I don't know how much detail I really need to tell you. There's so many crazy things. Like there was at a point that she and I were texting each other pretty regularly, actually. And she has a substance abuse problem, like huge. And she would get drunk and she would text me, you've ruined my life. Everyone thinks I'm a whore because of you, like stuff like this. And I would respond to her with such grace, like... I, I just, I wouldn't engage in it basically. And eventually it calmed down. It, it tapered off. But I mean, there's so many levels of crazy. Well, I, I, that just, I just want to ignore her for a okay. while just because yeah. she's clearly I mean, it doesn't like, matter. I'm yeah, not, it doesn't matter. But yeah, but no, but I mean, just in terms of, so what happens then? Do, do you, is that the moment where you say, get out of my house? So no, actually at some point, well, I told him like, well, I, so I can't do this. We, I mean, this is can you please stop? I mean, can you, can we have a family? All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, no. Yes. So- <laughs> you, you didn't come at him with it's over. You came at him with, can we have a family? Yes. Which I think is actually in retrospect, the worst thing you can do. If someone is lying to you, like straight up being deceitful to you and you know, this is happening. Like in retrospect, I should have just called it and be like, please go. 
and, and I should have been done at that point. But I was so pathetic. I was just like, we have a family. And in my mind, I really had this blueprint of what life was supposed to look like. And this is the father of my children. The, the life, the only life that I can be happy with is with this man. Like that's really what my thinking was. And then I saw that that wasn't happening. And I went into a horrible depression. Like I would, during my prep at school, so teachers, they get in like an hour. So a cl- basically a class period of preparation where you can grade papers, do your planning, your lesson planning. And during my prep, I would literally lie on the floor underneath my desk and just sob like for the entire time. And I remember having times where I couldn't stop crying, where the kids, (laughs) sorry. I haven't gotten emotional about this in such a long time. I had a, uh, I had a bucket of Laffy Taffy in That's my like classroom. A, like a candy, right? <laughs> Yeah, the candy. Um, so that when I would start crying, because it was like vomiting. Like I didn't know when it was going to happen. I'd be in the middle of a, a lesson and I'd just start crying for no reason. And, well, I mean, for reasons, but I just, I didn't know when it was going to sneak up on me. So I would get the Laffy Taffies out and I'd give everyone a Laffy Taffy and I'm like, who wants to share a joke? <laughs> And I would tell the kids, hey, look, everybody goes through hard times and I'm going through a hard time. I know you guys go through hard times too, but the important thing is to pick yourself up and just go through it. And so if anybody wants to tell me a joke, that would be fantastic. Because you just needed a distraction. (laughs) Yeah. I just needed to stop thinking about it. And it was such a dark time and I just, I wasn't emotionally well going through that and I was still trying to go to work and trying to function. Now you have a, a, a whole range of children that deal with their emotional pain with laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know what else to do. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, it, it was... It, it was difficult. And I, I felt, I mean, there was many months that I, I felt like nothing. And if I didn't have kids, like I really remember thinking like my kids were saving my life because I definitely would have ended it. Like that was the most depressed I ever was in my life. Wow. And he was still at home. And he was still at home. But this is what I mean about how pathetic I was, like not seeing that what was happening was not okay, and that I did have control over it. And I was choosing. why, Why so judgmental with a word like pathetic? I mean, you'd never, well, enc- you'd I never, the word you'd, never you'd, you'd never encountered this before. So how could it's you? It's true. I, I say pathetic, not in like, I don't want it to be a derogatory word. I mean it in that I didn't see my own worth. And that to me is pathetic. Like just like pathetic in a sad way. Like I, I just didn't see my own worth. And that is pathetic like that. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I'm not trying to demean myself or anything like that. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm hung up on language, but it just just sounds like a judgmental word. Like, how could I be so stupid? Whereas in actual fact, how could you know? Yeah, I I don't. I mean, I feel like I was stupid. I mean, I I definitely like I like how you put it earlier with my self-imposed naivete. But I mean, that was stupidity. But the crying under my desk for my entire thing by not being able to function by being like thinking that this was like, I was going to lose all my happiness in life because of another human being. 
Like I just, that, that. Yeah, that's in hindsight. It is in hindsight. It is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you, you grew up with a belief system and there was a time where it gave you everything that you wanted and needed. Yeah. So the fact that it's not going to give you that anymore, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. You but know what's funny too is just before I, well, it was just before he told me that he wasn't in love with me anymore. I remember telling you, Lisa, like something's going to happen. I'm too happy and I've been happy for the longest period of time I've ever been happy in my life. Like I, I remember feeling like fearful that something was going to happen because life can't be that Couldn't happy be all that good. time, you know? <laughs> and so I don't know. So yeah, that's how it played out. And so I still was hanging in there. There was a point where I thought I would try because he, he told me that he he didn't want to let go of the family. He didn't want to lose the family, but he wanted to keep seeing her. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I just swallowed that pill and I, I tried to deal with that situation for about a month. But I just, I couldn't live like that. Like I felt like there were areas of his life I just wasn't welcome. And I felt, that was at the point where I started feeling like I was living with someone who saw only my flaws. I felt like everything I did annoyed him, but really he had so much self loathing. He just hated himself. And I ended up being the scapegoat mm. in hindsight. I see that. But at the time I just felt like, like nothing. Like I felt like I was nothing. And so I remember we had a trip to France planned. Like a family holiday? Yeah, that was four years ago this summer. So that was 2015. 15. Maybe it was 2014. Doesn't I don't know. Matter. Something like that. Um, that was the end. And I, oh, here's what happened. So I'm, totally depressed, feel worthless, like almost suicidal. And one of my supervising administrators comes into me and she's like, Hey, listen, I hope I I'm not overstepping my bounds, but I really felt like it was on my heart to give this to you. And it was the five love languages, um, by Dr. Gary Chapman. Hey, are you familiar with that book? No. Oh my gosh. That's another really good book does. So the five love languages, um, and it was on CD. And so I would listen to it in my car. And I remember feeling like I finally had am ammunition. Like I had something I could try. Like I had to figure out his love languages and I had to just love him. And I, that's what I was going to do. I was going to love him unconditionally for six months and not expect anything in return. I mean, and this, I mean, you have to keep in mind, he's got this full on relationship going on and I'm trying to do this. So I do feel like that changed his behavior toward me. It did start changing his behavior, just being, trying to be aware of his needs more. I mean, not thinking about the kids, not thinking about all the busyness of everything that's going on in our lives, but just really thinking about what are his needs and how can I meet them? So I started doing that. And in my mind, I had this six month time period. And then at the end of the, those six months, I planned a getaway trip to Portland, actually, 
with a girlfriend of mine. That was the first time I'd been to Portland. Um, just to kind of have a reboot for myself. And so I did that. And I told him that when I got back, that I needed a decision from him that at the, when I got back from this trip from Portland and before we left on vacation, that I needed him to decide if he was going to choose to make our family work or choose to hang on to this thing with her. And because I knew in my mind that he was, we were going to go on vacation and he wanted to do the couple thing. He didn't want to have drama for his family and his friends. I mean, and we love, I mean, oh, so you hit him with the ultimatum before that. Yes. Because marriage does not happen on vacation. Marriage is every day. Mm. And I, I wanted to know that even when it was hard, he was going to still try to talk to me. He was going to try to communicate with me about what was going on and he couldn't do it. So I ended it before we went on vacation and we stayed in, I mean, you see in our house, we have a big enough house that we could stay in two separate rooms. Um, so we went, we did go on the vacation and we were separate and I told them that we were, we were separate and it was very difficult because his family is my family. Like I love them mm. and they were so supportive of me too. And his best friend too, even brought me aside. He's like, look, I don't know what's going on with him, but we just want you to know that you're our friend too. And we want to stay in contact with you. And I mean, they were just great. And, um, so we went back and we probably lived in the house six weeks and he was like really withdrawn, wasn't doing anything, wasn't going out. He wasn't doing anything. And so finally I approached him and I said, Hey, so what's going on? What, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. And he said, I, I want to be with you. And this is after I'd already ended it. And so this is why I'm thinking if I had just walked away in the beginning, maybe I could have saved my marriage because maybe he would have realized, okay, what I'm doing is, is wrong and I need to turn it around. But, um, because it wasn't until he thought that he lost it, that he started doing something differently. And so I had a conversation with them. I said, okay, well, it's true that it's been a long time now since the two of us were both investing in this relationship at the same time. Is that something that you're interested in? And he said, yes. I said, okay, well, when would you like to start? And he said, yesterday. And I thought, okay, well, that means we have to go to counseling, which we, which he had refused up until this point. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he was just blowing smoke because we did go to counseling at that time, but it's like he was just buying time because but what was he, what was he buying time for? That's what I having to make a decision. He didn't want to have to make a decision. He wanted to continue both for as long as he could. Right. So he, he was buying time to be able to do that longer, I guess. I mean, he, I don't think he ever saw an end. So we did go to counseling. I mean, a couple of different therapists. We went to a hypnotherapist actually. That was very interesting. We both saw her separately. And I remember, I mean, she was just adorable. I really liked her a lot. Um, and I remember telling her, I'm like, I'm just so confused by this. Like, why is he trying to hang on? I'm giving him an out. 
You yeah. know, of course I want him to still be a part of the kids' lives, but I'm, I just don't want to live like this anymore. And I, I was telling her, I couldn't understand why she, why he kept coming back. And she said, you don't know why? And I'm like, no, if you can no, I let don't me know. know. And she said, because darkness is attracted to light. <laughs> okay. I so, thought it was very cute, but... But do you feel that that was part of it, that this sense that what he was doing was was bad and that if he could stay close to the goodness that there was a chance he could be saved? I mean, maybe. I, I think I'm definitely a person that doesn't want to stay down. Like when I'm down, it's not going to be for very long. And I I can't live like that. Like Yeah, that's very difficult. With the French ennui. Like, no, I cannot live like that. So... Um, and I think it's a lot of shame that he dealt with, like not just from what he did in that situation, but from his past and things like with his relationship with his own father, like he has his whole, of course, exactly, exactly. But he never dealt with his. Yeah. So what was, so what, what was the final, cause this is, this is, I, I didn't know the story. This is a long torture of, yeah, it was years. It was years. So we, so we saw a couples therapist together and it was a guy. I thought he was really great. He, he gave me a couple of different books to read and that's what turned me on to start it, to start reading literature on marriage and sex and relationships and all of that, which eventually led me to Esther Perel. And, um, we saw him for maybe six months. And at one point the therapist, he sits down with us and he says, okay, listen, I don't see the point of continuing as a couple until he does some work on his own because you're doing all the work. He looked at me and he, he turned to me and he's like, you're doing all the work and there's no point of going on as a couple. He wow. said that in front of both of us. And I was like, okay. So that was a very quiet ride home. And I stuck in there a year after that. Is that right? A year because he, I mean, I get that he has a business with this woman. It takes time to, you know, tie up the loose ends or whatever you have to do to get out of that situation. Like I wasn't, I don't feel like I'm a very demanding person in general. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to see this out. And, but then I got a phone call from a very reliable source that the shenanigans were still happening, that he was still lying, which again is just me. Like I knew at a certain level that of course it's got to still be going on. And, um, but when that was really confirmed and I realized that he has no intention of, no, he was just stringing anything. you along. He was just stringing me along. And so I just texted him. And at that point my resolve was completely different. I, I texted him and I just said, hey, listen, I, I've packed up all your things. They're on the side of the house. I don't want the kids to know about this. I don't want there to be any drama. And you can't stay here anymore. It's over. And he drove right home. He didn't even text me back. He just drove home. And he, he was like, don't you want to know what happened? And he was like, who told you? Who told you? And he was like very demanding and upset. And I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You've had two years to get out of this and you still haven't. 
So it is what it is. It's time. I mean, let's call it what it is. I don't, I don't, if you had anything to say to me, you've had two years to say it. And that's where I drew my line and it was done. It was totally done at that point. So then he left and, you know, he got his own place and then, you know, eventually we got divorced. But, um, but even then I wasn't rushed to get divorced because I didn't want drama. I didn't want to be going through a divorce like with the, my senses, like the emotions heightened and mm. dealing with for both of us. I didn't want to deal with that. And so we actually, our divorce was just final, like last year. But how did you, when, when he finally was gone, mm-hmm. what was the feeling for you then? Was it relief? More oh, sadness? Sad. I was very sad. I was v- very, very sad. And how did you explain it to the kids? Oh, I didn't. We actually did not talk to the kids about it. So, how this worked out, it was summer. It was almost summer, I think, when he fi- when he moved out. And he got this condo that has a pool. And the kids had been talking about wanting to have a pool. And he got the kids these cool like loft beds with a desk underneath it from Ikea. And he had shown them to the kids. And they uh, were had mentioned it to me. It just came up in conversation. They mentioned that. And I'm like well, you guys, where are we going to put beds? We don't have room for any more beds. And then I said, hey, maybe we should get an apartment. And they're like, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, with a balcony. And they're like, yeah. And a pool. And so they were so excited about it. They really thought that we, the family, was getting an apartment and they were going to get new beds. So it was like this cool second place, like a home away from home. And, and we were really good. I mean, we never fought. Um, our relationship was really not volatile at all. Like we've never fought. And uh, did you ever, is that, is that a good thing to do by the way? Is it good to sort of like not let the kids know that there's a problem? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure I'm messing up my kids in some way. No, no, I I, I really, it's impossible. No, I was just curious. I do think what is good for kids and this is based on my own experience, not literature because I have spent so much time focusing on marriage and relationships in these last few years. I haven't done a lot of research on what's good for kids. (laughs) Maybe I should start that. (laughs) But, um, but I do think in my heart that keeping things as consistent as possible for your kids, keeping the routines the same, keeping things like making them think that they do have control over their environment, giving them a sense of peace and control and safety. I think Mm. that is important. Um, And I bet I can find literature that says that that is that is true. Well, parents, even though I'm not parents raised their right children now, yeah. before there was literature on parenting, you know. <laughs> so, so they still don't know to this day. Or no, 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 no. Of course they know now. Yeah. So, but we went. I think we went eight months before the kids really were pushing. Like, Why no, we want Papa to stay here at the same time. Like, we want the whole family to be together. But we went eight months before they noticed because both of them, both of us, saw them every day and kids they're so resilient like they're so in their own worlds like we were still doing family dinners together um some nights and you have to keep in mind that he was gone a lot anyway with Mm. his shenanigans so he'd be gone i'd be putting them to bed so their routine really didn't change that much 
And so they still had, we're playing with their friends. They're still doing all these things. The only thing is they weren't coming, crawling into bed with us on a Saturday morning anymore, you know, and they started, it, it took them eight months really before it had become such an issue. Like they had started asking before then, like mentioning mm. it, but then I would give them some kind of an excuse and then they'd be satisfied with it. Like, Oh, well, mm. you know, Papa's busy or, Oh, mama's going on a trip this weekend. So she's not here or whatever. So there was always an excuse for why it wasn't happening. And then finally, after eight months, it got to a point where I was like, okay, I mean, I never lied to them. He, he didn't lie to them, but we were just able to put it off that mm. long because of how calm we kept things. And, um, I sat them down. I said, okay, there's something that I need to tell you. And I just told them mama and papa are not going to be together as a couple anymore. That doesn't mean that we're not a family, but we're not going to be a couple anymore. And I really thought that they were going to be okay with it just because kids are so resilient and because it had been so long since we'd been together at that point anyway, mm. I thought that, okay, this is just going to be a natural transition, which that was another way I was naive. I mean, the look of horror on both their faces. I mean, even my son, he, and he's so calm. Like he's, he's very calm. Like he was stunned. And then my daughter just sobbed, like sobbed. And she really struggled with it. Right. She really, really struggled with it. And I feel like How old were they she then? does struggle with it. Oh, gosh. So that was maybe three years ago now. So let's see. She's nine. So like six or seven, mm. maybe. Yeah, I think she was six or seven. And then my son is the older one. So, um, yeah. And he just, my, my son just stayed quiet, but I mean, he was definitely stunned. And I remember feeling like, of course, that's a, that's a normal reaction for kids to have. But I remember feeling a little surprised by how extreme their reaction was that I, I, I don't know why I thought that maybe they just would be like, okay, <laughs> but yeah. And I think that it's confusing for them to a certain degree just because we didn't ever fight. They didn't understand why we couldn't be together. But I assume it's also just because when you're that age, like mommy, daddy, home, it's all just the norm. And then suddenly. I mean, that's what I was thinking. That That is what I was thinking. I thought they'd be like, okay, well, this is how our lives are going to be now. But no, they no, no, no. I meant like that, that actually the fact that that's no longer the the way it's going to be. It, it's a big shock because, you know, but the thing is nothing did change. Yeah, I know, but it's still like, I, I you know, my parents didn't get divorced. Uh, I knew kids that did have divorced parents, but, but to me at that age, you know, that young age, I remember thinking like, that's not normal. And what For we have is divorced. normal. Yes. You know, and I, you yes. know, I, I felt in a way, you know, lucky that we had, you know, because it would just seem weird to me if it, it wasn't the case. So I think no matter how smooth the transition is, it's got to be a difficult thing for a child. For because sure. children don't know much, but they know that mommy and daddy are home. And, you know, and obviously non-traditional families, like I'm not suggesting that, but like your your kids knew that as the norm. 
and now it, that norm changes. And that is a big transition. I do think that all kids want their parents to be together. I, I believe that. I mean, here I am, you know, in my 40s, and I still wish that my dad would be the man that my mom deserves to be with so that they could be together. Yes. Oh, your parents are divorced. Yeah. my right. Our parents are divorced. Yeah. So, but anyway, they, they did have a, a hard time with it and rightfully st- so. I mean, it's a divorce is a traumatic thing mm. and you know, so it was really hard for them and we just, you know, took things as they came after that. We put Cecile, um, in counseling with the school her school counselor and that was really helpful for her and she had an awesome counselor that first year that was amazing uh owen was a lot more i mean he's he's a lot more stoic uh he didn't ever do counseling but i feel like he had other outlets and he occasionally would ask me questions and i would answer his questions and he seemed satisfied with the answers and can you remember like a particular question just out of curiosity. Well, for example, uh, he asked why we we, could, we weren't together anymore. You you weren't honest, were you? Yeah, I was. I told him, uh, well, sometimes adult things happen to adults that make it not possible for them to be together anymore. And and they understood adult things already. What kind of bullshit is that? No, he knew. <laughs> I mean, he knows that, you know, alcohol, that's for adults. Sex is for oh, adults. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. He, they understand the idea of things that are adult only. Right. And, and so I just told them it was a, an adult thing happened to us that made it not possible for us to be together anymore. So, and the, he seemed okay with that. Now I will say in, as they're getting older, they are curious. And my daughter has, I mean, just in, recent months asked me, I think this summer she was asking me a lot of questions about why we weren't together anymore because we still get along. We co-parent really well. Like, why can't, why can't you be together? And, um, like really pushing me. And I said, well, honey, I feel like you're asking me questions that aren't really my place to tell you. I feel like these are things that you need to talk to Papa about, you know, have these conversations with, with your dad. And she's like, yeah, but you tell me the truth. Wow. <laughs> and so then what do you say to that? It's like, yeah, well, now you've hit the nail on your head. Your father's a lying <laughs> pastor. <laughs> now you know what? <laughs> you've learned something about your father that I learned a number of years ago, which is why he doesn't live here anymore. And like you've answered your own question. No, I didn't say that. But and I just told her and I always will tell you the truth. So you did tell her that he met somebody else? No, of course oh. not. But I just said you can't tell someone else's stuff. That it's not yeah. my place to say when it comes to me. And I have told her very personal but, things but that she's own, asked me but about But your own me. stuff, could, I, just out of curiosity, you say you can't tell somebody else's stuff. But can't you say, well, you know, your, your father, you know, wasn't the, you know, hurt no. me or you wouldn't nope. say that? Well, okay. So when I was telling them about it, I, because I used to really, I, I told you about these crying fits that I would have. And I would cry myself to sleep at night and I would wake up crying. And I remember the kids coming in. It was just awful. Them coming in and being like, mom, why are you crying? And, and those, and Owen really remembered that. And I, and I asked him, I said, do you, well, do you remember mama was crying all the time? And, 
And then he said, Owen said, yeah, that he remembered it. So he still didn't remember it. And I was like, well, do you, do you guys remember the last time you've seen me cry? And then, and then Owen said that it had been a long time. And, um, and I said, okay, well, that's why. So we, we just needed to be apart so that we could be Not better crying all the time. on our own. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's interesting to have to navigate that with the children, you know? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just not the way things should be. It's not the way things are meant to be. And that's why, I mean, I'm such a huge advocate for marriage and for committed relationships still, even after everything that I've been through. I mean, I don't want to be married again, <laughs> but I'm still so hopeful for people who are still in it. Like if they can work it out, if they can find a way to be honest with their junk because everybody's got junk everybody does and I feel like there's so much shame surrounding things I mean particularly in Christian circles and I feel like there's so many things that you you shouldn't do and I feel like if we can truly be honest with one another that's where healing begins and that's where I feel like my sisters and I for example I feel like I really have that with them and it feels so liberating to have people in your life that you can be so honest with but what do you think makes it more difficult to achieve that level of honesty with your husband or your partner what, well what? i'm not having sex with my sisters no no I, I i i yeah but that's what i mean like why why is it that it's so much harder to achieve i mean i think it's because of sex i mean i i told you this before that i think as soon as you start sleeping with someone you increase the chances that they're going to lie to you by like 97 percent. and i don't know that's what i'm so hungry to figure out that's why i'm listening so much to esther perel because i do feel like now and I do hope for a committed relationship again at some point. But I mean, I feel like right now I'm still trying to figure those things out because I can't be in a relationship with someone who is going to lie to me. And I still do believe that as soon as you start sleeping with someone, they're going to lie to you. Like I have that in my head still. And I need to figure out how to get it out and make sense of that. And like, I feel like I'm a pretty reasonable person. Like I, I, I think it it's understandable that people have desires that people are attracted to other people and i think that there's certain things you can do to protect your relationship but one of them the most important one is being honest and we can't do it and i do want to know why i don't know why why do you think it is well i don't know but i think you've proven in your own case that the affair in itself wasn't really the thing that was going to destroy your relationship. It was the inability for him to be honest. Absolutely. Because you were actually, in this situation, you were actually willing to get over the initial deception. Oh my gosh. In fact, from the way it sounds to me, the initial deception didn't kill you as much as the continued dishonesty. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I uh, listen, I, I can understand the dishonesty of trying to salvage the relationship and if you think if certain information can be withheld that will save this relationship i'm not saying that's good but i can understand the mind that thinks that but i, mean, I can't understand 
the, the mind that that won't be honest when you're both sitting down and saying, how can we salvage this? You know, like I can understand the dishonesty of the period of time where you're, you're busted, you know, the busted period the you'll do anything to salvage it because in your own mind, you think, despite the fact that I'm lying more, I'm doing it because I actually think this is worth saving. And then you sit down with somebody like Esther Perel and Esther Perel says, but if this is going to work, we need, total disclosure here yeah and if there's deception after that phase that's tough the hard thing i think about my particular situation is i was not willing to accept an ongoing relationship with, with him him being involved in an ongoing relationship with that this woman and that it almost felt like he was more honest with her about things it felt like that was the primary relationship and I was on the outside. I felt always on the outside of it. And I feel like, I mean, but that's torture. I mean, I, it I, is, didn't bring it was. It up. I didn't bring it up at the time because I didn't want to stop you, but it, it, it was torturous. It was the stuff not that you sustainable were going for me personally. Maybe it could be for somebody else. I can tell you that for me, if I was with somebody, it, I mean, it depends on the situation. I feel like you have to, like, obviously you want to be with your one person, right? But if you have a situation, for example, where, where the man is, or, or the woman, whoever is, is traveling a lot, you're away from each other or military families. I don't know how military families are able to stay faithful to one another when they go on leave for these long periods. I mean, you long for so many different things. I mean, sex being the least of which, but like connection to mm, someone else. Companionship. Or somebody so go to the movies things. with. Yeah. And so you see things develop. Like I feel like in a situation like that, I mean, is there room for a little bit of grace to understand, you know, one well, side or the other? I think that's other? to each individual. Exactly. So we talk about the rules when it comes to open relationships. And there's... um there's literature on this where you read books on polyamory or all kinds of things. But I feel like marriages should be allowed to have their own set of rules and that can evolve over time as people evolve and as people change. But we're so afraid. We're so debilitated by our fears of all kinds of fears, by shame, by afraid of hurting the other person that we forget how important honesty is in the foundation of who we are and so if you can't be honest I do feel like it is better to just stay single mm. because that's how you're your most authentic I mean so far and I feel like the single people I know are I mean, actually, that's not true. I do know some really, really amazing married couples, too. No, but the thing about authentic. being single is there are there are a lot. You're not being challenged, to be honest, as much. It's tough to be honest. You I don't, don't have to so. be I honest as much easier. when you're single because you're, you, you're, you, don't, you don't owe it to anybody. Not true. I mean, l think about how easily uh, I told you some of the things that I shared with you at brunch today. I didn't have to tell you those things. No, I, I know, but that's 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 different that's just you being open in relation to like our friendship I, I don't mean it in that way i just mean it's definitely you know you don't you you don't owe it to, to anybody you know like yeah but that's when it is it's like that's what i and this and you know esther Prell talks about 
that, you know, can freedom and commitment coexist. And I think you're hitting the nail right on the head there. When you're free to share, you do. When you have to, there's something that holds us back a little bit. Yeah, but also, I, I think there's so much. And the dynamics are difficult because, you know, it's like a, it's like, it's like a, in a conflict situation. Suddenly you're concerned about what you're going to lose. And, you know, sometimes relationships do create that dynamic where you feel like, if I'm honest here, I'm going to lose out on something. And even though that's not the truth, that's how you mentally process it. You get your back up. You get defensive. Like, all these things happen. It's just a natural dynamic of human interaction. So... I, I can understand why it's more difficult to be honest in that situation. That's why I think counseling is so great because you get that objective observer. Absolutely. You get the objective observer that says, oh, you know, is that what's really going on or are you afraid of, of this? You I mean, know? it depends though because it really depends on the counselor. I mean, you have yes. to do your research. I have uh, friends that I believe that would they would be married to this day if they didn't have such a crappy marriage counselor. I mean, the, the counselor asked the man in the couple who the man was the one who had kind of withdrawn emotionally from the woman. And so he's, he asks the husband in front of the wife, well, do you have any hope that your feelings could return? And you're talking to a guy who's depressed that doesn't really have hope about anything, much less if his feelings are going to return for his wife after 20 years of marriage. And so he is in a space that he's feeling like he's trying to be honest. He's like, well, no. And he, I mean, he's cornered having to be honest in front of his wife like that. I just feel like, and that broke something in her. It was like, okay, well, what are we doing here then? If there's but, no but hope, w- then let's, let's move on. But what, what was that counselor bad or was that counselor good? No, I think that that counselor was horrible because he, he should have been, counseling the husband on his own because any of those things have to do with things going on within us. The things that he was struggling with did not have anything to do with his wife. Yeah. But you know what though? There's no point in going because you're requiring a lot of knowledge about, you know, like it's not really, it doesn't even matter whether that's true. But I, I just feel like couples, they grow, especially after 20 years, you grow, you change, but you can still hang on to, that commitment, especially if you have a family, I just don't understand how couples, they can commit to each other in that way and invest so intimately over years with one another and then never see each other again. It's just done. Yeah. Well, there's not even a friendship anymore. Like it's, I know, but I guess sometimes the hurt is too strong, you know, like it really depends, you know? So before we finish, cause we've been chatting for quite a while, uh, like now, now you have hindsight, right? Time has passed. Like, w- you know, you, you use words like pathetic earlier and stuff like that. Like, what do you wish you would have done now that you're, you know, because you've, you've had your own journey too, because you started your relationship world in this Christian world. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you've moved quite far from that in terms of... I mean, I still consider myself Christian. No, I know, but you don't have the same shame and hang-ups around sex. No, and some I of don't. The, That's some of true. the rigid laws that, you know, the That's stuff true. that religion sets down. So now you, you, you look back after being through this and everything and coming out the other end, what, what do you wish you had done differently? I wish I would have seen my worth earlier. And I think it, that's really what it takes 
to be honest, to be able to recognize that the choices he was making really had very little to do with me. That if I had said, okay, this is where I am drawing my line. I can't, I can't take this particular behavior. I, I think I could have forgiven him if it had happened. I mean, even though that had been gone, going on for as long as it had, I think I could have forgiven him and, and moved on from that. And then I would have been more aware, like, does he need something else? Like, what is he not getting from me that he needs? And if I can't give it to him, can he get it someplace else? Like, I think I would be more open to having conversations and being okay with that about whatever needs he has that are not getting met. That Can he get those met? And, and then to just be patient um, with each other. But I mean, communication is so important. I mean, he did not communicate with me at all. I do feel like I, I learned a lot about this. I mean, do you think you tolerated him too much though? Do you think, Oh, you- absolutely. If anything, I stayed to a fault. I should have left. I actually, I told you my sister, she, I, I had a, a very serious conversation with her yesterday, just telling her, listen, I stayed to a fault. Don't make the same decision. I think that maybe if I had left right when he was like, I don't love you anymore. Or, and I knew that he was having, he was cheating on me, that that's the only thing that it could be. I knew it in my heart. If I had gotten up and walked out then and said, okay, this is it. And make, made him really evaluate what he was doing. Then it still comes back to him though. I mean, you should have left for you. Absolutely. I should have left for me knowing I was not going to tolerate that. But I think that he would have realized sooner his own choices. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, I think the reality is that, and it's not that you did anything wrong, but you obviously allowed him the space to live, to live both lives for quite a long time. That's true. Which was quite convenient for him Mm -hmm. and it was killing you which is not fair absolutely so definitely leaving way earlier like when you see that you can't you can't encourage someone else you can't be something to someone else at your own detriment like you can't allow someone to treat you that way yeah because there's compromise in all relationships but you can't sacrifice too much of yourself a- absolutely because there's no choice otherwise and i mean if there's no choice but to sacrifice parts of yourself it can't be right yeah but that becomes very blurry too but yes i think that the best thing that i could have done that what i told my sister was to work on her to th- to do things that bring her joy and that is what i eventually started doing was just things that brought me joy and you work on yourself and I, I mean, I believe this, that you, the, the right people show up in your life, uh, according to whatever you're doing on your own, you know, you, and that's what I was saying, like how, even when I met you at that place in our lives with my sisters and I, and I mean, it's kind of like a pivotal point for all of us in different ways. And then you were just there right in it, like part of these, part of these conversations with us all that weekend about life, about life and just where we're at and like finding meaning that I felt were cut short because of that conference that we're going to every time we're always having to rush off. But, um, but I feel like, the right people show up when you need them to. And even now, and I've come so far 
from how sad and lost I was at that time. But even now I feel like since meeting you, just being introduced to the shift and hearing other people's journeys and hearing what other people go through with sex and dating relationships, I feel like it's so taboo in social circles to talk about those things. And it's so refreshing when people allow themselves to be vulnerable. And so that's one of the things that I've really appreciated about this podcast and that I like can't get enough of that kind of stuff. And so, um, I feel like the more you work on yourself and learn and grow as a person, the more you're going to draw to yourself, the people who are supposed to be there. And if your spouse is not meant to be there, I feel like you have to let go of that at mm. some point. I mean, in an ideal world, you can go on that journey together, but it can be hard to I find. I mean, that is the ideal. That is the it's ideal. And I still really believe in that. But yeah, you can't control another person. You get to control you. That's it. And you hope that your partner is going to make good choices for the couple. And I mean, the, a whole other topic is things you can do to protect your relationship. All right. So let me ask you one final thing, just because it, it's, it's directly related to the topic. Uh, and don't just like repeat what Esther Perel says, because, you know, because I love her so well, much. Yeah, I'm she, so obsessed. But she's very articulate. Oh, she's amazing. But what do you feel about the person that's listening to this that's been cheated on or thinks they're being cheated on? What What do you think is the right way to deal with it? Should they just be like, no, that's it? Or should they try to save it? What's your personal feeling on that? Okay, my personal feeling for anybody doing any kind of disservice to you is grace. First, grace. To seek first to understand what is going on and know that it has nothing to do with you. Right. And to find, try to ask questions, ask a lot of questions to try not to take it personally, even though of course you're going to take it personally to try not to take it personally. It has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with the deficits within that the person. person. That's it. And to try to seek those things out to try to understand, but then also to not be a doormat. You have to be able to stand up for yourself and think about what you are willing to live with. What mm. is reasonable for you and for everyone it's different. Yes. For everyone it's different. And is that something that you can continue as a couple or not? But the very most important thing is to be able to be authentic with yourself and to allow your partner to be authentic as well. And if you're at a point where their true self and your true self do no do not coincide, then you have to look at maybe it's time to move on from that. Hmm. And you never felt this sense of like, well, I could have fucked around and I didn't. You never that was that was never a thing, right? That was never a thing. I never ever wanted to. He always thought I was, but uh, which came out much later. But no, I never wanted to be with anyone once I was with him. And, you know, I mean, that was a different life. I feel like my, um, yeah, I'm if you were still really together now, you'd be probably trying to fuck around. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, what I was going to say is that I, I mentioned earlier that the life that I really wanted could only happen with him. And I, even though I do still feel like that was the ideal, the ideal didn't work out, out for me. And I, 
And I am still truly happy with where I am in life now and the growth that I've done. And I'm very excited about the things that are present in my life now that I wouldn't have had had I stayed married. So, and you know, happiness is a choice. We hear that all the time, but it's true. So while I do believe that staying married, especially if you have kids is the ideal, if it doesn't work out, like you cannot force another person into anything. You have to be able to let it go Mm. at some point. So, and that, and I didn't do that. I mean, I didn't do that soon enough. I tortured myself literally for years and I wish I hadn't have done that. Well, that's great. Great. See, I'm so glad we did this now. Oh, me too. Um, Hashtag me too. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Des. So, thanks everybody. And thank you to my my dear friend who you know gave so much of herself, really. Um, and it, you know, I guess it's it's interesting because everybody has their own journey, and I'm sure some of you are sitting there and saying, "I would have left that motherfucker straight away," and then, you know, some of you are probably like frustrated with him, or you know, whatever whatever your emotions are. I'm just very grateful that that she was honest and didn't try to sugarcoat it, make herself look better. You know, uh, you know, at times where you, in hindsight, you might think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people that I left earlier. I tell people that I kicked him out earlier. You know, you can do things to make yourself look better. But, you know, it's very tough when you're sort of trapped in that emotional state. Anyway, um, it's uh, okay to be back next week. Uh, we got some great apps coming up. Make sure to uh, the usual, you know. Hit me up at Des Bishop, at Katie Boyle Comic. Uh, if anybody has any questions, I can forward them on. So, uh, you know, in relation to this episode. So just send them to me and I can forward them on to our guest. And um, that's it, really. If you're in Kilkenny this weekend, there's a very small amount of tickets left for the show. Katie won't be there. She'll be in Sligo, though. So Katie's on stage with me in Sligo Friday night, but that's sold out. Uh, and then Katie goes back to New York. But I still have a ton of shows coming up. Galway, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, I got Drada coming up. Tullamore. Um, Ratoth. A lot of them are sold out. Blanchestown, Dunleer, they're all sold out. Uh, I think Tullamore and Drada definitely, definitely some tickets left. Oh, and Clonmel, very close to selling out though. Might even be sold out because I got a report today. That's pretty close, but check that out if you're around there. And then the Mia Mama show is actually kind of on sale already, but I haven't put all the dates up yet. But some of the dates are on sale. So if you're interested in that. Um, and that's it, guys. Thank you so much. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 